You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a podcast designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Today, it's episode number 65. Are you up for job change? Insights from a recruiter, an interview with Jack Corbett. Welcome to the Effective Statistician with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieskes, a weekly podcast for statisticians in the health sector who want to reach their potential to serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. So in today's episode, I had a couple of problems with the recording setup. So please bear with me in terms of a little bit of the quality, especially from my side. Uh, Jack's recording was much better. So um, bear with me. It uh, will still be lots of lots of great content. So the PSI Uh, conference is just over and it was a really 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 nice conference and after the conference is before the conference next year the PSI conference will be in Barcelona in 2020 and the usual abstract deadline for the PSI conference for at least for oral presentations is in about November so now it's time to start thinking about writing an abstract and submitting an abstract for the next PSI conference. To help you with that, I'm starting a challenge. Let's write our abstracts together. Just go to theeffectivestatistician.com slash abstract challenge, all one word, and register if there your interest. And then we'll um, go together through this um, up to the submission deadline so we can have really really nice um, abstracts and can help each other to make them really good. So in today's episode um, we'll talk all about um, changing jobs, we'll give you an overview of how the um, market for biostatistics looked like um, in the UK, in Europe, and in the US and also what it takes to actually get into this uh, pharmaceutical market, how to best work with, with recruiters, um, what are the different opportunities between academia, CRO and pharma, and also a couple of um, guidance on how to best find a new job and what to do in a CV and we'll talk about applications and, and interviews. So watch out lots of really really nice content. As usual this podcast is created in association with PSI, a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the special interest groups, the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars and much, much more. The reduced rates is just £20 for non-high-income countries and £95, which is also not a lot, for high-income countries per year. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician. 
And today I'm speaking with Jack Cobbett from Hayes Life Science, and we will talk about changing jobs and what actually the insights from a recruiter that you can get. Jack, how are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you very much for, for having me on the um, podcast. Uh, very pleased to be here. Okay, so maybe as a, as a first step, can you introduce yourself to the listener? Absolutely. Um, so my name is uh, Jack Corbett. Um, I work for a global staffing specialist called Hayes Life Sciences. Um, and my role within our business is I head up our biometrics team. So specifically, I work with life sciences companies across the UK, Europe and the US, uh, finding them statisticians, SaaS programmers, data managers, um, all across the board from, from sort of uh, entry-level positions right up to, to sort of boardroom-level appointments. So, so that's my role within our business. Awesome. Yeah, and we worked together in the, in the past already, so um, that's why I can tell you that it was a very, very nice experience. And, uh, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm really happy that you give a little bit of insights in, into these kind of things. So, so let's start a little bit with the overview of the biometrics market, and especially for, for statisticians at, at the various um, levels. Uh, the listeners of this podcast are really uh, located around the globe, but of course, most of them, at least currently, are located in the US and Europe. And I'm still including UK for Europe. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not get onto that minefield. <laughs> so, 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 what's the what is the current situation uh, for for the job market, and what is kind of your anticipated change in, in that regard for statisticians? Um, the, the current market, uh, I have to say, uh, favours the candidate um, more than the, the client, shall we say. Um, we look at the market as a very sort of candidate-driven market, where what the trends that we see uh, across sort of Europe and the US um, is that there are plenty of jobs, I think, If you look at most sort of pharmaceutical companies, CROs, consultancies, biotechs, they are all very, very open um, and would like to hire uh, sort of multiple statisticians. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very, very interesting time. And I think there's a lot of opportunity if you can offer the, the correct skill set. Um, but what comes with that is we are finding a slight candidate shortage um, because in regards to the market, you tend to see pharma companies wanting to be have people based on site. You want to have CROs for, who will offer people home-based. So I think the pharmaceutical companies are currently struggling to get people to be based on site because other Uh, companies will offer candidates to be based on home. So it's becoming quite an aggressive market in regards to um, companies offering different things to attract the talent. Um, but then also on the side of that, you have to be mindful that because obviously what statisticians do, you're so niche, you're so technical, um, 
it's it's also can the clients expect a, a high level of return and um, they can be quite picky in regards to the candidates they choose but Overall, um, I would say it's it's a very there's a huge amounts of opportunity for candidates if you can provide the right skill set. In terms of working remotely, how much of a topic is that in the discussions? Is that something that is comes up very very frequently? Huge, um, uh, huge, huge amounts. It, it, we speak to companies. Um, And it's, it's a major, major talking point with companies. And I have to say, um, I can see both sides of the coin as it was. And, and, and I have sort of simply for, for the, the hiring companies and for the candidates. The issue that we have is that, um, you know, I, I think in this, you know, the, the world is changing, um, you know, the, the, the workplace is changing and, and companies need to be mindful of that and, and react to change. And, and one of those is obviously giving people, you know, a better work-life balance and, 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 you know, and I think the opportunity to work from home, uh, you know, a greater level uh, is, is fantastic, you know, especially if people have got families and have other commitments. And if you're dealing with international teams, it's absolutely brilliant. But on the other side of that, um, you know, I feel that the, the jobs that, that statisticians do, although we have fantastic technology to, you know, practically be in a room with someone, the on the drug development process, I feel that the pharmaceutical companies especially really want to strive to have teams on site so you can have that face-to-face -face interaction um, and you can really sort of get to know your colleagues and teams and, and drive the drug development forward. And I, I, I do think it, it also has a very, very positive impact to, to, to your work-life balance as well by having that face-to-face -face interaction. I think it can help teams better. So it, it's, a, it, it's, it's a difficult conversation um, and really depends on, on, on where the candidate is in their working life and also what they want from a company and vice versa. There is no sort of right answer. I mean, if you want to work remotely, there's plenty of people offer a full-time remote. But if you want to, you know, sort of maybe look at maybe a pharma company or, you know, even sort of a bit more hands-on management of teams and things, you really need to look at working on site. So it's, 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 there's no right answer. In terms of the... Um career i think it's also from the candidate's perspective i would think that if you're very early in your career i think there is lots of downsides to working completely remotely uh, i think if you work then kind of four days on site and you're working one day remotely that is probably more of a, of a possibility also from a learning perspective but um I think when I entered into the pharmaceutical industry, well, working remotely wasn't that much of a topic at that time, but it's, um, I really learned a lot and really benefited a lot from, from being on site. Whereas um, I think if you're spending, all, if you're 20 years in your career and you have a very good established network, it's less of a problem. I would think. I, I agree. And I, I try and I do obviously get some candidates who are younger in their career. And I completely agree with you. I try and I try and ask them to sort of avoid, you know, 
going for the sort of home base role um, because I also it, it also I think does can slightly hinder your progression as well because um, there's nothing better than than collaborating with these teams and having these discussions and being vo- involved in in the sort of you know the face to face interactions. So um, being on site is a, is a fantastic opportunity to really move forward in your career um, and get and gets you a better sort of um, profile within the company because people see you and know who you are so that's also something to be mindful of yeah yeah in terms of um, let's say the international uh, levels um, it's pro just kind of in rough numbers do you see big kind of differences between different countries in terms of um, uh, Opportunities? Is there, is there more opportunities in the UK than in Germany or, or the US? Or do you see any kind of differential effects there? Hmm. Interesting question. Um, not really. Um, you obviously have certain hubs. Uh, so obviously, the, the you know the the, com- the countries that I tend to do most of my work is is the UK, um, Belgium, Germany. And, and a bit of France, um, and, and obviously the US, which, you know, there's just huge amounts of opportunity in the US. But, um, and Switzerland, I guess. And, and Switzerland, of, of course. Yes, of course, which, which again is, is obviously a very big hub and, and a very attractive proposition for, for many people. Um, but also the, the thing is, it's slightly difficult to say, you know, where is the demand? Because obviously now, because you have so many CROs and consultancies offering full-time sort of remote, it's led for people to be based anywhere in Europe, effectively. Um, you know, we've placed people in nearly every country um, in, 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 in pretty much Europe, um, and that's the offering. But I think at the moment, you know, the, the, especially with the pharma companies, there's still a huge drive um, to, to get people within sort of pharma companies in the UK um, we're continually working within Belgium. Ger- the German market continues to to sort of um, have that sort of demand for talent, um, and, and as well as Switzerland. Um, so they're the kind of main ones. But as I say, not really main hotspots because you know the, the remote working aspect, which is which is good. Yeah. So I see that I've, I've worked in teams where say, people were, especially contractors, were kind of distributed all across Europe with them. Um, they were really very good skilled people and so I think they were very, very employable and, and therefore could you know, work for lots of different um, uh, clients. Um, so that's about the current situation. Do you see that changing dramatically in the future? We are starting to actually, it's interesting you, you said that. Um, I, I don't see it changing. I, I see it um, continuing um with in regards to the, the sort of home working there'll always be that cro aspect you know cro's do a sort of fantastic um you know they play a fantastic role in the drug development and you know they will continue to, to allow people to work sort of remotely but i think what i am starting to see is is a slight slight shift um in, in the trend of, of especially with sort of biometrics and, and specifically statistics we went through a period with huge amounts of outsourcing for the pharma, pharmaceutical companies and, and sort of a, uh, a decrease in the sort of investment within sort of biometrics teams. I, I think we did see that um, with, with many of the bigger players. 
I am starting to see a slight shift in that. And I'm starting to see um, more pharmaceutical companies maybe slightly reduce their outsourcing projects um, and bring some of the biometrics in-house. I've had some companies um, who have sort of outsourced all of it and now have recently come to me and asked for sort of three or four hires and are looking to sort of build up these teams again. So I think that is so, so positive for the market. I think if we can get involved, more investment, more training within the pharmaceutical companies, you know, that really will increase the talent in the market, will increase opportunity and will also, you know, provide more uh, skilled workers to the CROs, consultancies, biotech. So I really hope that trend continues, but also, you know, have the CRO aspects. Okay. Okay, very good. So um, in that, in this kind of field where you have now um, really a surplus of vacancies and, and the scarcity in terms of candidates, um, What's kind of the best way if you want to change a job? How you, how you can find relevant jobs um, uh, that could be interesting for you? Mm. Um, interesting question. I think there are a couple of aspects to this. I mean, I personally think you know a, a good recruiter um, will add huge amounts of value to your job search and, and, and open some some very exciting doors for. The candidates. I think you need to have a, you know, candidates first of all need to have sort of a, a clear idea of, you know, what they're looking to do and, and where they're looking to go um, within their career. And obviously, a good recruiter, a good recruiter will then be able to steer you down that road and advise you on sort of companies. I think. So, in terms of that, just kind of uh, double-clicking on this, in terms of knowing what your strengths are, knowing what you want from a company in terms of development, what kind of therapeutic areas you would love to work on, which kind of phases of drug development you would like to work on, these kind of things. Yes, absolutely. So, having an idea of, you know, A, what value you can add there um, and what you know, you would like the company to give you in the future. So absolutely. So, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the trial designs that you can do at the moment and, and where you want to get in the future in regards to, you know, do you want to continue being an individual contributor, working on high level projects? You know, do you want to manage? I think you've got to have that clear understanding. And the role as a recruiter will be able to advise you. You know, our role is to is to advise and support you on where these opportunities are. And also, we have a high level of responsibility to obviously advise you the right opportunities um, and not just advise you on a job because maybe they're paying a bit more than an original company. You know, it's, it's, it, you need to have that sort of, we need to show that responsibility to the candidate um, and advise them properly so they will benefit in their career. Um, so how do you actually reach out to a recruiter? Uh, how does that usually work? Do I just kind of go on LinkedIn and say, you know, post something like, hey, recruiters, I'm up, up for a new job. <laughs> How does all that test work? Well, I think we're all quite lucky, really. I think the biometrics market, um, A, from a candidate and client perspective, is fairly small. And I think, to be honest, it's, it's fairly small um, within the recruitment uh, sector as well. So I think, to be honest, if you did a search on LinkedIn, I, I think, you know, several names... Um, would pop up that you'd probably be familiar with. So I think, yeah, I think, you know, you, you want to have a look, um, you know, you want to have a search on LinkedIn, 
look at the biometrics recruiters, look at the types of roles they're advertising. If you're looking for, you know, go onto their website, go onto their LinkedIn page, what kind of roles are they advertising? And they, you know, very contract biased, you're not looking for a contract job, maybe look at another recruiter. Are they dealing with pharma companies? You know, you'll see these advertisements. Um, and have a look at that and get a feel for, for where they're focusing, because obviously they'll focus on certain locations. So gain that little bit of information, just the same as we would by having a look at a candidate's LinkedIn profile. But furthermore, you know, what I would say is also interview the recruiter. I mean, obviously, we're very approachable people. I think, obviously, this is why we, we work in the, in the job that we do. Um, and I've, I think it's important to interview your recruiter because I think an, a relationship between a good candidate and a recruiter is, is vital. Um, what I would personally say is speak to the recruiter. Does he have an understanding of what I'm, what I do, where I'm looking to go? And personally, I would say that a recruiter should always be open about the clients and about the people that you know he's dealing with. So my, you know, if I speak to a candidate, I will always be very open about where their CV's going, who I'm working with, who the hiring managers are, and really put that trust in them. Um, and once you build that relationship, they will then take your profile to the market, and as long as they're acting. Um, responsibly they're going to open some fantastic doors uh, but it's having that you know sort of communication trust and, and sort of honest relationship that's where you'll you know sort of benefit yeah and i think that is really really important uh, one other area where you can actually meet recruiters is for example at psi conference so so um Uh, that there's usually some booths of, of recruiting companies and uh, uh, you will meet meet people there and that's also a nice um situation where you just can have a relaxed chat about these kind of things so another alternative absolutely we'll be there we'll be um we'll be exhibiting this year in uh, london so uh, yeah so you can always pop along to the hay stand yeah uh by the way we are recruiting this now before the conference but it all goes live after the conference so <laughs> Oh, right. Okay. Well, edit, edit that bit out. Then. <laughs> no, we can keep it just in. And, and remember, you know, next year's PSI conference in 2020 will be also very, very attractive, uh, especially also from location perspective. So, um, yeah, just check out psiweb.org to learn more about that. In terms of... Um, Uh, these kind of things, it's really important to build a good relationship with the recruiter and that the recruiter is um, informing on all the kind of open positions and contacts you before he sends CVs there. Um, I once had a situation where a good friend of mine uh, told me uh, he had a quite a nasty incident. Uh, his company was bought by a bigger company um, and um, the recruiter... Uh, wasn't aware about that and sent his CV to the bigger company. Ah, <laughs> <So laughs> uh, yes, that's never ideal. <laughs> so so ju just to kind of avoid these kind of things is, is really, really important. In terms of, yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so in terms of that, I think it's good to build a really trusting relationship and transparency is, is really one of the, the key things into that. In terms of other things, what can candidates do, let's say, for example, on LinkedIn to, you know, maybe also be found by recruiters that look for candidates for, 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 for their clients, for the companies that they're working for? Um, great question. Um, and I think LinkedIn is such a powerful tool that, that if you are going to look 
for a, another position, then you need to build your online profile specifically with LinkedIn. I don't think there's a recruiter out there who doesn't use LinkedIn. I'm, I'm pretty much on it every single day for, for 10 hours a day. So, um, you know, you you definitely won't have a problem finding a recruiter. I think mean, how do you, you've got to, Hayes actually do some, some sort of um, LinkedIn uh, profile building seminars as well, which I could also send you a link to, which are very, very interesting to work directly with LinkedIn on this um, and we can get some information and any candidates who are interested we can we can help with that but um, uh, from my point of view um, it, it's fairly simple um, your LinkedIn profile is effectively your CV so it's an opportunity to not just show recruiters but to show you know your peers your working groups um, your experiences your skills um, and what you are sort of doing at, at this moment in time. So treat your, um, treat your LinkedIn profile as an opportunity to show off your skill sets. So it's always important to keep your job history up to date, but also to give information on your job history. Um, so what you are doing what, and what you have done in those roles, what you've worked on. So, for example, if you are, just for example, if you are a early phase statistician working on phase one, phase two, um, with experience within sort of things like um, Bayesian or, you know, and, and have sort of led submissions, put that on your LinkedIn profile. Um, why? Because if you are a recruiter, and say one of my clients comes to me and says, Jack, you know, we're looking for an early phase statistician who has um, knowledge of, of, of Bayesian. Well, what we're going to do is we are going to search LinkedIn for profiles of candidates who have that and who have done that. So when we do that search, you know, we'll get a list of uh, 100 profiles and then we will look through them. We'll know some of them and obviously we'll have a network ourselves. So if you're looking to be identified, you need to keep your LinkedIn up to date. And obviously it's critical that you have the relevant information on because that's how you'll be searched and that's how you'll be identified. Um, and also a good profile. So not just kind of, so not just kind of I was... I was working for Big Pharma X no. and then for Big Pharma Y, but you really need to be much more specific about your, your responsibilities there. Okay. Absolutely. And further, beyond that, beyond the kind of job description, as a specific job descriptions? Well, then also, you know, LinkedIn is obviously a very, very powerful tool in the fact of, you know, there are sort of working groups and groups and, and the way to be involved in sort of discussions and, and things like that. You know, if you can actively participate and build your online profile, being involved in some of these groups and getting involved in sort of discussions and sharing sort of useful information, it's also building up your social media profile. It's just it's just building that profile and getting, you know, more emphasis on your on, on your profile. And it will be seen by more people. The more activity you're doing, the more opportunity you have to be contacted by not just a recruiter, but by a company. Um, and also with, a, with our digital footprint as well, um, companies look into that um, and they will find, you know, just because what you're doing right now, maybe you've done something before, maybe you've participated in something previously, they might find that really interesting because obviously we all have a digital footprint now. So it's, it's just building that social media profile, um, which I think is really, really important um, and will also allow 
not just maybe some other opportunities you weren't even considering to be um, presented to you. So it's really, really vital. Yeah, I can say that also from my perspective, uh, as, as I've been hiring people, one of the first things that I look into is the LinkedIn profile. Just to kind of uh, get an understanding of the person, what's this, you know, where's the background, where they are coming from. You know, sometimes, you know, the CV is missing a photos and I can find a photo there. These kind of things is, is always, always quite, quite helpful. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a good, a good CV will always go to a, a client and then, you know, we can assist with um, sort of CVs and, and CV workshops. And, and a CV is very, very powerful because also, um, one of the biggest mistakes we see in the in the recruitment market is people um, give they'll send one CV out um, to multiple roles. Now, you should never do that. You should tailor your CV for that specific role because that role will be there's there's no role, one role you know unless I'm mistaken there is no one role in each company that is going to be the same. So why you know I always ask candidates why do you then think it's okay to just send a generic CV? You know, the, we, we've told you what the, the company are looking for. So it's very much sort of tailoring it and showing that commitment to the company. And a good recruiter will then take that CV as far as they can to not just sort of HR, but getting in front of, you know, the sort of hiring managers and having discussions over the phone. So that's really, really vital. But but I think, you know, it's a starting point where LinkedIn is, is crucial, just a starting point, because that's where you're initially going to be identified, really. It's really kind of quality over quantity. It's much more important to go with quality to specific companies rather than to have a kind of uh, approach where you, let's say, distribute a generic CV very, very widely. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and that's why whenever, if you're dealing with a recruiter, you should always, always, this would be my tip to any, any um, candidate, Always make sure you get in writing who your CV is being sent to. And if before you present your CV to them, make sure you're having that discussion about where it's going, you know, who are the hiring managers and getting that information because it's critical that as a candidate, you retain control over your job search. And also, I think you need to remember that um, it is very important to have a good relationship, but also uh, a recruiter in a, in a way, you know, the, the candidate is our client. So we need to be mindful and respect their wishes and you yeah. need to keep control. Yeah. Okay. Um, one other aspect is kind of in terms of recruiting is, well, there's farmers, there's CROs, there's academia. Um, where do you see the biggest differences in terms of the opportunities between these things? We have shortly talked about, um, uh, well, we have actually a lot talked about remote working and how that is different. Um, what are other differences between these three groups? Um, okay, so what are the differences? I think we tend to see, so pharmaceutical companies act very obviously differently to CROs. So a CRO and this is obviously no disrespect to, to CROs, but a CRO is there to um, 
effectively. You know, the, the pharmaceutical company is their client. They are there to drive the studies and get the, 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 the projects out um, as quickly as possible for obviously, you know, financial gains, which is, you know, which everyone knows. So, so what does that mean? That means that, that, that you know, the, the studies and the, and the projects you're working on will be quite fast paced. They'll be probably need to be delivered quicker. There'll be, there'll be timelines. There'll be strictest of timelines, should we say. Um, so you tend to see a bit of a more sort of fast paced sort of environment in, in, in a CRO. Um, within obviously the sort of pharmaceutical and the academia, obviously that's more, very much more sort of drug development driven. Um, uh, you know, we tend to see people who enter the sort of, uh, go from either academia into sort of, um, pharmaceutical who have that real interest in the drug development, have that real sort of scientific interest. Um, whereas obviously people in the CROs may, you know, not tend to be as interested within the sort of drug development. Um, they love the statistics and they're great what they do, but they're not hugely interested in drug development. So it really depends on what your own personal preference is. If you're really interested in about the, the scientific aspect, like, you know, if you want to work in a pharmaceutical company where you'll be involved in research projects, you know, have links with academia where you can work on publications and have that real drive for, for the scientific aspect. You know, there's huge amounts of opportunity to do that and cross over with academia. But again, moving on to the CRO side, you don't tend to see that as much. So again, it really comes down to personal preference of, of what you want to do. Do you see a lot of kind of, obviously, you have lots of salary discussions as well. Do you see bigger differences in terms of salary between pharma and CRO? Um, so what we tend to see, the trend in the market is this. Um, a pharmaceutical company will offer a better package. So for the likes of, for example, once you kind of look at getting to the sort of associate director level, for example, a pharmaceutical company will give you incredible packages to really secure your future with things like very strong pension, um, shares, uh, sort of higher bonuses, You know, and that's really kind of attractive to, to people. Um, CROs tend to maybe pay a little bit more, but have a sort of less of a package. Um, that's, that's, that's the current trend. So, uh, you know, with a CRO, you'll tend to maybe get sort of a, a bonus, a small bonus, maybe a little car allowance, but not too much more. So the, um, the, the benefit of going to sort of pharmaceutical companies is a package can really, you may even be paid a little bit less, but actually when you look at your package, it probably will offer you a lot more security. So that's what we kind of see. And then obviously academia is, you know, tends to be a lot lower on the salary, but people will work in academia for different reasons. So that's, you know, so they're not, they're not financially motivated. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, any, any hints that you would give to a candidate in terms of how best to kind of approach this salary discussion? Um, be open and honest with your recruiter. I always say to my, um, my candidates, uh, you know, where I will really add value to this is, is obviously opening the doors and, and, and getting in front of this. You know, but at the end of the day, the, the candidate is the one who's going to get this job. You know, they're going to do the interview. They're going to show off their skills. They're going to, you know, warm to the hiring manager. They're, they're, they're going to be the one who gets hired. They're going to get this job. Where a recruiter can come into to play, um, and they sh and a good recruiter should do, 
they will be good at negotiating your salary. So what I would say, be open, be open, honest. I tend to get candidates, and this happens all the time, where they tell me their salary, and I know their salary maybe is probably a little bit, little bit less than what they're saying, but obviously they're looking to, to achieve more if they're after that sort of financial gain. Don't worry about that. Um, you know, a recruiter's there to get, a, to get the best deal possible for you and for the client. So be open and honest. And, 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 you know, and tell a good recruiter, you know, where you want to be. You know, what, what do you want to achieve? If, if, the, if the recruiter is true to his word and he's dealing with these companies and he understands the salaries and the levels and the packages, he'll be able to advise you what, um, you know, what is achievable and what isn't. And I think people have to remember as well that obviously, um, you know, we don't get, you know, we don't get paid up front as it was. You have to get the job for a recruiter to, to be paid um, in most instances. So again, we're here to support the whole thing and get you the best deal. So um, that's all I would say is, 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 you know, leave it to, to the recruiter and let them, them, you know, do their, what they're trained to do. It's the magic of the HR department, so to say. <laughs> yep. In terms of, in terms of the process, um, What's the kind of common process that, that people will go through when, when, they have a, uh, when they go into an interview? Does it always kind of start with a, with a screening interview or is, that, is it, or is it deadly very common or is that something that is going away and, and people go directly to a face-to-face -face interview? Hmm. Uh, again, this is, this is very sort of specific company-led in a way. Uh, what we're seeing at the moment, uh, what, what tends to happen, and, and this is the sort of the norm, um, what you'll tend to do is you will have uh, usually have a screening interview, obviously with with HR first. Um, get your motivations, your, you know, what do you understand about the company? You know, why are you looking to apply? Um, and have those sort of softer HR questions. Once you have sort of uh, passed that, then yes, they would either look to set up a sort of face to face with the manager, or go straight to sorry a face to face or a telephone with the hiring manager, or go straight face to face. That is the kind of norm. And we usually see for most roles a two or three stage interview process on the permanent side. Contract is, is, is very contract is very different. Um, but a lot of the clients that I work with, um, I'm very lucky that hopefully they, they trust, you know, my knowledge. So tend, we tend to sort of avoid the HR and that's what I'm here for. And then we'll sort of go straight to um a telephone interview with the manager and and, and have a um Uh, and then go to a face-to-face. -face. But what I always encourage my clients to do is try and have an informal conversation first just to get an idea, a feel for the candidate and a feel for, you know, where they'd fit in the role and vice versa. I think that really helps to waste a lot of time. Um, but but there doesn't tend to happen too much in the market. But we are seeing a movement in, obviously, technology. Um, a lot of clients are becoming more open to sort of Skype interviews, um, sort of video calling, which is fantastic because if, you know, we, as I say, with candidates based remotely all over Europe and, and the world, in fact, you know, we're, we're tending to see companies be a lot more open to that. So, you know, have a Skype interview. And, and we I've had interview posts which has done completely over Skype and they haven't even met face to face. But again, individual sort of company preferences really. Okay. Okay. Interesting. How about um, presentations, uh, especially at kind of face to face uh, settings? Is that something that is very common that is candidates are, are getting asked to present on, on a, on a topic of choice? 
Absolutely. I, I tend to see it more within the pharmaceutical companies and the biotechs um, where they would like a presentation. Um, some of my clients that I deal with and I'm thinking about sort of four or five companies or a big sort of large pharma who um, ask for presentations. Yeah, they ask for sort of a five or ten minute presentation um, on your choice, really, um, you know, on your choice of a, a statistical um, project or, you know, whatever really you like, just something to showcase not only your understanding of statistics, but I think what's vital, um, especially within obviously, you know, in biometrics is, is how you explain that to a non-technical audience. And I think that's really vital. So that's really what they're looking for. Unfortunately, as a recruiter, I do struggle to help with the presentations because I, I, I still... I still count on my fingers, so I can't really advise too much on that. But I have to trust the candidate, really. But um, but yeah, we do see that. We do see that quite common. That's more, to be honest, more when you kind of get to that sort of principle and above role. Okay. Okay. Very good. So in terms of um, maybe the last question is you mentioned kind of associate director level, principal level. Um I personally struggle a lot with these kind of different um, levels because my perception is they are different in every company, and, and it's 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 really hard for you know to to see. Well, in that companies they are called associate director, and then in other companies they are called senior statistician, and then yet in another company they are called I don't know research scientist or whatsoever. Um, is there any any help on that, or is it just kind of uh, you need to get into it to to really understand it? To be honest, Alexander, I have to be honest with you. It's it's one of the most confusing things I have to deal with. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I look at job titles and I just think I really don't know what what, what level that is. Um, it is a bit of a problem with our industry. Um, I have to say, as you've just said there. There's so many job titles, there's so many weird and wonderful names and things out there that there is no way to help. That The only real way is by having that understanding of what you do and where you will fit within that company. Um, I think in, in other industries, I think yeah, there's a real kind of drive for getting a sort of director title or people are very sort of um, mindful of their own title. I think, to be honest, it's not something that we come into in biometrics too much because I don't think anyone understands what the titles are. So we're quite lucky in that fact, really. Yeah. So what I really kind of look then into is the job description and what does the job description um, have in there? Is there lots of kind of entry-level tasks in it? So like... Um, writing the SAP and uh, writing program specifications or is there more kind of strategic things into it like um, designing the uh, overall program for, for development and, and uh, direct interaction with um, um, regulatory stakeholders and th things like that. So I think from that level, from job description, you can probably better see what's kind of CC level you're looking for. So what I would say is it's for candidates, I always say be quite mindful of job specs um, and don't read in too much to a job spec either. Um, if the job spec is very, very well, well written and been written by the hiring manager, you know, speak to the recruiter, you know, uh, and really get an understanding for that. But also be mindful that some of these job specs can be quite generic. 
Um, they can also be written by more sort of a HR who maybe is not as technical. So you've, you've also got to be mindful of that. Job specs don't always tell the full story. They're great to get an outline of the role and what you'll be doing, yes. But again, you really need to be speaking to your recruiter, you know, and what specifically will this hiring manager be looking for and really get the main information from them because I also know companies that tend to use job specs that are a bit outdated um, and, and that's where my knowledge comes in in advising the candidates so I'd be slightly wary of that and I think candidates need to be mindful of that. Okay, thanks so much. That was an amazing interview. Uh, we talked a, uh, about a lot of different things. We um, got an overview of how the biometric market. We discussed a couple of different things in terms of uh, open vacancies across different locations, um, differences in terms of working remotely or not, the benefits of these um, opportunities within CRO, academia, pharma, and and how that is uh, might differ in terms of what you do, and uh, also how generally the, the interview process uh, works. So thanks a lot, Jack, for this really, really nice insights into that. Um, and really looking forward to continue to working with you. And um, yeah, check out the... Um, Uh, the effectivestatistician.com, uh, where you will find all the show notes. We will put all the links that uh, Jack mentioned in there. And of course, you will also find his uh, bio and his photo and his links to, to him there. Thanks so much, Jack. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Alexander. I really enjoyed this. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks for listening. Please visit theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. And don't forget about the abstract writing challenge. Register your interest and I'll help you to write your abstract. Next week, we'll speak about impactful presentations And I have a really, really nice guest says that will help you to avoid common mistakes. So, reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician. <laughs>